This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. Welcome to the Tuesday episode. I have my Invisalign in, so please bear with me, okay? With the S sounds especially. I love the topic of today's episode, and I think it's something that we don't often talk about. So initially when... I was approached to have Sophie on the podcast. I thought she wanted to talk about like screens and I was thinking, well, like that's not really a topic, you know, like I thought she was going to be anti-screen just because of the title of her book is called Baby Unplugged, but that was not it at all. It was actually such a fascinating conversation to talk about how technology is so much a part of our lives when it comes to raising our children literally from the moment they come out of the womb. It's like so many things, like new products, all this technology. Like, for example, when Milo was a newborn, I was contemplating getting the little baby sock that goes on their feet and like sends you all this data. But as soon as I found out that it could malfunction and go off, you know, and scare the shit out of you, basically, I was like, no, I cannot do that. My anxiety cannot do that. Sophie Brickman is a journalist, a writer, and when she had her first child, she got really into this topic of technology and raising kids. So she wrote her book, Baby Unplugged, that covers all these different topics. So in this episode, we touch on a few of the topics, like, you know, baby data, like how much data do we actually need on our kids, and is it actually helpful? We talk about virtual villages, you know, especially with COVID and, you know, 2020, where we didn't really have access to our in-person villages. If we even have an in-person village, a lot of people don't. So we talked about virtual villages. We talked about baby paparazzi. So, you know, how we're constantly trying to capture every single moment of our child doing anything and what that actually does. And should we be doing that? Or should we be trying to put our phone down more often and just being in the moment? I compared it to me going to a concert because I used to try and capture everything on my phone. And then I finally was like, Renee, you can go home and YouTube search this concert and see the whole thing. So why are you in person, basically watching the concert through your phone screen because you're trying to capture everything. And the same goes for our everyday lives with our children. And then we get into smart toys, you know, versus the basic blocks and pots and pans and whatnot. And then we get into ebooks versus print books. So it's a good one. Lots of topics that we can all relate to because we are all living in this world where technology runs everything. So please welcome Sophie Brickman to the Mom Room Podcast. So to start, I thought you could introduce yourself, tell us about your family, and I'm also curious how you came up with the idea for the book Baby Unplugged because I've never heard people really 
get into those topics before. So I'm curious what made you think to write a book about it? Sure. So I'm a journalist by training. I I was a food reporter for a while and I worked at the San Francisco Chronicle and I freelanced for a bit and I was a magazine editor. And then when I had my first daughter, who's now five, I immediately got very interested in parenting and had a million questions. And so I sort of pivoted to writing a little bit more about her. My writing style is very personal. I usually like write about myself with a lot of kind of reporting to back it up. I have a five-year-old who just started kindergarten and a two-year-old and a 10-week-old little baby boy. So we have our hands full over here. And my husband is a tech guy. So we, you know, we lived out in San Francisco for a while and and he was working at a startup and then he started his own and he's like really into tech and and he both works in it and, and really loves it and embraces it. And, you know, he like straps things onto his body and monitors various metrics and stuff. And none of it really you know, like it bothered me that much until my daughter was born. And then all of a sudden, like all this tech ended up in her nursery, just kind of like appeared there. And there was one like very critical moment that led me on this journey to writing the book, Baby Unplugged, which was he brought home some sort of sensor, like a, a smart sock or a smart, I don't really remember exactly what it was, but it, it strapped onto her body and was supposed to alert you if something was up with her heart or her oxygen level or something. And I mean, I'd never been with an infant before. You know, as my first kid, I, you know, I'm the youngest. I don't have like many, you know, little cousins running around or anything like that. So I didn't know what I was doing. And the promise of this gadget and all of these gadgets was really like, it will make you calmer and it will keep your kids safe and it will lower your anxiety level. And the alarm of this thing just went off in the middle of the night, like blaring in our little apartment. And I thought something had happened to Ella. And in fact, it had lost connection to our Wi-Fi. And that moment was like a crystallizing moment where I realized there's like, there's so much tech in my life. There's there's a little perfect pristine baby right now. Like, let me slow down and be a little bit more thoughtful about it. And so I started poking around and researching. And when I was writing articles about this, I got a very unexpectedly largely like positive response from other parents who were like, oh my God, I'm grappling with the same thing too. And I thought, okay, there's really something here that is very important and very close to home for a lot of parents who grew up in the digital age. And they also feel like, you know, they're being bombarded with information and headlines that are conflicting and they don't know what's right. And you kind of barrel from stage to stage and it's like very hard to get your mind around it. At least I found it. So I started researching. And so it was sort of like a selfish journey to to get to the bottom of what tech was really helpful for me and my family and what should sort of just be thrown in the freezer and forgotten about. My son's three years old and I remember looking at these little socks that you put on their feet and it's like, I have a PhD in psychology, which was very like heavy into statistics. And so I love data. Like I'm like all about it. But I remember looking at that and I, they always make you feel like you need it. Like this is going to make your life easier And it's always really expensive. But I remember looking at the reviews of that sock and so many people were saying it actually makes me more anxious than if I didn't have it because of the fact that it can lose connection. And then, you know, you're in the middle of sleeping and you have this alarm going off and you think something really bad's happening. So I never ended up getting that. But it's funny that you said that was your experience, that it went off in the middle of the night. 
It did, but even even if it hadn't, and I feel like if it hadn't, I would have like strapped that thing on her for you know decades. But <laughs> you know, the 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 overarching my big takeaway when it came to monitoring little kids at that level, and you can monitor any number of things. You can monitor you know like how much they're peeing. You can monitor how much you're pumping from this breast versus that breast. You can monitor all sorts of things. And I talked to my pediatrician, and he was like. For the vast majority of kids, you wouldn't be let to, like, you couldn't take the kid out of a hospital if they needed to be monitored at this level. What we monitor at the, you know, monthly or weekly pediatrician visits is what you need to monitor, but we're doing that for you. You know, it's like the American Academy of Pediatrics has figured out that you need to be weighing your kid at this interval and checking their head circumference at that interval. And there are people for sure for whom this data is comforting. I just found that it was overwhelming and that when I realized I really didn't need to be monitoring it, it made me feel a lot calmer. This is random, but my friend, she was staying home alone. Her husband was away on a bachelor party and she was nervous to stay home alone for three nights with her little daughter. And she was like, we have a security system, but for some reason it keeps like every once in a while it'll malfunction and like go off in the middle of the night when nothing is actually happening. And I was like, that's funny because that's what this reminds me of. It's like you have this security system, but it can malfunction <laughs> and like make you, you know, jump up in the middle of your sleep and think something horrible is happening, but it's not actually happening. And I was like, oh, it's very similar to this. It is. And, and I think, you know, parents are, or new parents, you know, I now have my third and it's wildly different. It's like you get, you start to trust yourself a lot more, the more experience you have. But the first, you know, for me with Ella, I was brand new to this stuff. You're very nervous and it's a baby. It's like the most important thing in the world is suddenly in your care. And so, you know, you were saying before you feel like you, you you're made to feel like you need all this stuff, but we're a very vulnerable population. And I think marketers like really, they know that and they capitalize on that in a way that is not always that great. So were there products that are considered tech gadgets or something for babies that you did find to be helpful? And like, it's making our lives easier or less stressful? I think, you know, like, I'm going to give you sort of a roundabout answer to that, because it's a, it's a good question. But and, and like, kind of to each their own. There are people I spoke to who really did enjoy the amount of data gathering and did enjoy, there are, you know, particularly when it comes to sleep and how to get your kid to sleep, there's a lot of gadgets about that stuff. And people, you know, I know people who swear by various gadgets like that. What I ultimately realized was that, you know, technology, the promise of technology is that it simplifies things, is that, you know, it will simplify your life and streamline your life. In the process of doing that, often there's an enormous amount of extra stuff that's added in. So there's more data that you're gathering or there's more numbers that you're crunching or when it comes to kids and, and technology that's for them, like, you know, the toys will do more things for them and the screens will be more, you know, sexy and light up and be really exciting. You know, from a developmental perspective for what for kids and what they need when I kind of got into the nitty gritty of the neuroscience and psychology, like less is more for kids. And for us, I think it's sort of the same, which is like less information is common, particularly when you realize that you don't need it. So like I'm a modern mom, like part of the reason I wrote the book is because I 
I felt like there were two very extreme camps that I found myself in between. It was like, data is great and amazing and you should crunch numbers on your kid and put them in front of screens and they'll get smarter and better and more interesting. And then the other camp was like, don't show your kid a screen and don't pick up your phone and live off the grid. And that's all you can do. And I was like, I can't do either of these things. Like I have my phone in my pocket all the time and I like, you know, I enjoy watching Netflix sometimes and like, what, what is the right thing? So there are definitely, you know, gadgets and things that you can implement well. But I think for me, the overall takeaway was like kids kind of have all they need in the world around them. They don't need the technology and the technology that is that is pushed on the parents often serves to make them more anxious. Yeah. I have found with toys, well, first of all, with technology, the problem is when the power goes out, this was a few weeks ago, Milo's favorite show right now is called Dino Ranch and he's all about it. And so we were having dinner or no, we had just finished dinner and Milo's like, let's watch Dino Ranch. I want to watch Dino Ranch. So we're like, okay, like let's, you know, before our bath time, we'll go sit and watch Dino Ranch. So we had already told him that it was coming on and we're like trying to get it set up. And then the power goes out and I was like, oh, (laughs) you know, so I feel like technology is great. But then like you were saying, you have a lot more things to think about. Like if we're going on a car trip, we have to make sure the tablet's charged, that we have all the the shows that he wants downloaded. And instead of just being like, okay, let's throw, you know, some of his favorite toys are so simple. It's like a pillow that has buckles on it. And he does them up and undoes them, does them up. And so it adds an extra layer of like mental work to make sure you have all this, like his favorite toys have batteries in it. And, and then when they don't work, it's like shit. Like, (laughs) I think there are like two very, very interesting points to come out of that. Like one of them is I use screens with my kids and I now know like kind of practical takeaways that I came out where it's like, this is what you should do. And this is how you can evaluate shows. And this is how you can evaluate apps. But like, I definitely put my kids in front of screens. I think that part of my research led me to realize like, if he wants to watch Dino Ranch and he gets a lot of enjoyment out of it, it's great. Like, that's fine. It doesn't, you know, you don't need to be enriching him and making him smarter at every moment. And like kind of everything in moderation is a very good mantra to live by. As long as he's doing other things and he doesn't have a complete meltdown when you take the thing away, like it's fine to do that. And like, you know, Ella, you know, got very, she gets the flu and then she had a virus piggybacked on that. And she was like, it was, she was in bed with a fever for something like two and a half weeks. And she was three years old. And like the thing that calmed her down was watching Frozen. Like, okay, you can watch Frozen three times a day if you want to do it and it calms you down. Like, I know why I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you because you have a fever and you need to chill out. But I'm not expecting her to then, you know, be spat out at the third viewing of Frozen, like writing her own musical. Like, I, I know what <laughs> it, that I'm giving her, giving it to her for. So I think like that's one point. The other thing that you that you brought up is something that somebody very, very high up at the American Academy of Pediatrics told me. I was like, how do I evaluate screens and tablets? Like, what, what should I do? She was like, I have a very simple rule. She was like, give the kid whatever it is. It could be a toy. It could be a screen. It can be the TV. And then take it away from them. And when you take it away, when you turn the TV off, when you take the tablet away, when you take the toy away from them, what do they do? 
Like, do they scream and cry and have a real tantrum or do they kind of get over it and move on to the next thing? And she said, she was like, I would be surprised if when you took a book away from your kid, they had a total meltdown the same way that they do when you take your phone away from them. And it's a very sort of simple way to understand what's going on in their minds. Like they can't handle it leaving because it's so bright and shiny and fun and addictive. That says something about what the end goal or the end game is when you give them something that's bright and shiny and squawks and does all these things for them. You know, like if you want a calm Zen environment, often tech rattles that a little bit. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. Milo for sure needs a warning. We're always like, okay, couple more minutes and then we're going to turn off Dino Ranch. And he's like, okay. And then I find it's fine if he knows that it's going to be turned off soon. But yeah, it's so interesting. What are some of the gadgets or like, what are the differences you found between gadgets that are 
tech. So like shiny, bright lights, you know, walking robots and stuff versus just plain like puzzles or blocks or board books. So if you're talking like specifically about toys and, you know, there's a big movement right now of making smart toys, meaning that they like can interact with your kid or, or a phone or like something in, in, in a more sexy and exciting way than just like a boring old plush toy. Something I learned, there's a kind of a parenting philosophy that some people um, subscribe to that some people think is very extreme and some people think is wonderful. And, and what I picked out of it is called RIE, R-I-E, which is, stands for Resources and in Infant Educators. Something that I picked out of it that I thought was really, really smart was there's a phrase that is busy babies or active babies, passive toys, or busy babies, passive toys, something like that. The idea being that the less that the toy does for the kid, the better it is for the kid. So you'll find this, like, you know, you said that Milo's favorite toy is like a thing with a buckle. Often you'll find you like stress out about what toy to get somebody for their birthday or whatever. And then the cardboard box is the most interesting thing of, of the gift. And that's like really telling you something like developmentally kids do not need that much input. I mean, we're talking about kids, you know, preschool kids, like under the age of five, obviously this changes when they get older, but when they're young and their brain is developing, like kind of the best thing for them to do is to create the action themselves. And so if you have a toy that, you know, walks down the carpet for you and then you don't have to walk it down the carpet, there's like a bunch of things you're short circuiting there. You're not, you're short circuiting like something as simple as like gross and fine motor skills, which you want them to, you want them to be moving. You want them to be picking the thing up with their fingers and like touching things like tactile stuff is one bucket that is really important for young kids. And then you want their creativity and their imagination to develop. And so if you let them come up with the activity, they their brain will, will be better in a lot of ways. And, you know, another thing that I learned that, that was very calming to me is that like boredom can be really good for kids. You know, you don't, you don't need to constantly be nervous that you're not giving them some input and that they're going to, you know, explode. Like if that's the case, like your kid might be like a little too jangled and maybe technology is part of that. There are definitely ways to use technology in a good way and an enriching way for kids. Absolutely. But when it comes to like smart toys and toys that can plug in or do things often like give them a pot and a pan and a ball and like see what they do and don't like feel the need to rush in and make sure that they're occupied. They will figure it out. Yeah. Mom guilt is the worst for independent play because Milo is amazing at independent play, but I have to consciously like let him play. He's fine. He's not asking me to play with him, but my mom guilt is like, oh, I need to go interact with him. Like, especially when he was younger and he was a little bit behind in the number of words he was saying. Oh my God. Like, I felt like I constantly had to be next to him, like interacting, engaging, getting him to say words. And it was like, just leave him, like let him play by himself. And interacting and talking to him is unbelievably important too. But the ethos, I think, of, of the technological age and of like what we're living in right now is that more is always better. So you're like, okay, I'm going to like give him all these toys and all these things and I'm going to be like talking at him a million miles a minute. And, blah, 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 blah. 
And it's like kids know what to do. Like that's in it's internal to to who they are. You know, another another thing I I talked to somebody who you know it works in the space of toys, and and she said the toy will be played with in a different way as the kid grows up. You know, there are there are programs and there are you know subscription services and things out there where it's like okay your kids three months we're going to give them we're going to send you this and then at six months we're going to send them a ball that has like little knobbly things on it and at eight months we're going to send you this and it makes you think as a parent like there are all these milestones that my kid is supposed to be hitting oh my god what if they're not hitting them and what if he doesn't grasp in the right way or what if whatever and for sure you know there are outsized cases where there is something to be concerned about but by and large like you don't need to be buying new toys for your kid as they grow up like they can play with the same things in different ways for a long time yeah those boxes that come for every like few months that your child grows they do have some of the best, just like basic toys. Like that's where he got his little buckle pillow. And like you were saying, like that box that the buckle pillow came in was for when he was a lot younger and he's still, you know, into that buckle pillow. So you don't necessarily have to buy every single box on the day that they turn that age, but they do have really good, just like basic toys. Absolutely. And I think, and a lot of those services are very thoughtful and they've done a lot of research about this. I don't mean to to throw them under the bus in one fell swoop. I'm mostly saying that there is an implication or it's kind of hard as a parent to see this type of service and think, okay, like I need to be on top of the three month, the five month versus the this versus the that, you know, like open up your kitchen cabinets and your kid without knives are like, will likely <laughs> be fun, you know, and and can hang out in the kitchen with like water and some glasses and that's all they need. Yeah. I think you're right in that parents feel pressure that like, okay, like they're 18 months now, they need to be playing with X, Y, and Z because that's best for their development. And, you know, like working all day to make sure that they're playing with a certain thing because that's the age that they are. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about baby paparazzi. (laughs) This is, well, like with social media and everything, obviously this is huge. And I like how you pointed out that we're so focused on capturing every single thing that our kids do on our phones or on camera that oftentimes we're not even in the memories. And like, that is so true. I look through my phone and I try to find a picture of us and I'm like, so I try and get more pictures of Milo and I, then it's like just a selfie and it's not like a nice photo. Anyways, can you talk to us a little bit about that and what you found? Sure. So, I mean, the reason I wrote this is because if if you have a smartphone in your pocket, which most of us do, you have the ability to capture anything you want in any moment. And I found myself taking like hundreds of thousands of photos of Ella and some of them were fantastic. And most of them I would never look at again. (laughs) You know, they were like her, her big toenail when she was born was so cute. And I took like 15 photos of those. Like, what am I going to do actually with that? Not much. So there's a question, like we live in this constant tension of being, being in the moment or capturing the moment. Like I did one deep dive into kind of questions of privacy. And I think that that's something that parents constantly think about, but are not, I guess there's some people I spoke to who said, 
I'm not going to post a photo of my child on any sort of open social media platform until he or she is of an age where I feel like they can actually give consent, which for this, this person was, you know, 13 or 14 or something like that. So there's a question of like, do you really want your kid to have kind of an entire catalog of images of him or her that are out like floating around on the internet when they're just two years old? That's like a personal question and one that I think is like, you know, a bigger question about what social media means for, for us kids and not kids. But then the other thing that I kind of deep dive into was about psychology. And I tried to sort of really parse out, like, why am I compelled to take these photos? And one reason, frankly, is that, like, my parents are not always there and they want to see photos of their grandkids. And I think that's an amazing thing to be able to do. So we have, like, a shared family photo stream that I, that I post a lot of things to and they love it. And particularly during, during covid you know, this was amazing. You know, they were, they live eight blocks from us, but those eight blocks were like, we didn't see them for months. And so that's really important. But the idea that I'm trying to preserve a memory actually is a faulty idea. Like your brain can filter through the important stuff and can remember the important stuff on its own. So this fear of like, oh my God, Ella's going to take her first step maybe right now. Like I got to get the phone out and I got to make sure that the da 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 It's like, there's benefits to not always having a, you know, a faithful record of what it is that your kid is going through. It gets a little bit meta, but it kind of helped me feel calm about just keeping my phone in my pocket and being like, I'm going to remember this moment. And it's kind of better in a lot of ways to just be in it with her when she's through this, even if it's a little funny thing, like burping or whatever it is, it can be fun to capture it. But do I need to do it all the time? Like, no, probably. Yeah. I try and decide like, okay, you know, we're going to go to a farm today and do this. Like I'll take a couple pictures, but that's it. Like, I don't want to be glued to my phone because then you start to realize that you're not even in the moment. You're watching it through your screen as you're trying to film things. And this is like random, but I love going to concerts and that's what I would do. Like at the concert, I would try and film like the whole thing. And then I started to realize I'm literally like, why am I even here? Why am I paying for these tickets? Because I'm watching the concert through my phone as I hold it up. So I stopped doing that. And it's the same thing with everyday life. Like you're looking at it through your phone. It's a very, like, very perfect image and like metaphor, a physical screen and a sort of emotional and psychological screen in between you and what is going on. And it's like, of course, I still take photos of my kids all the time. It's not like I now don't, don't take photos of them, but you know, we don't have, I grew up, my my mother loved taking photos and she put them all into albums. And so we have one album per year that's under the TV set and you can pick out like 1986 and like see me when I'm a two-year-old and they're kind of pieces of art in a way and and they're really thoughtful and I think when you have your phone the thoughtlessness is is enabled you can just take you don't have to be you know conscious of of what you're capturing you can just kind of capture it all and and yeah you know ultimately it it doing that research led me to keep my phone in my pocket more more than I had before This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. 
If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like pot stickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right, the quality is unmatched, you are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair's too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. We just capture things mindlessly and then it literally just sits in your phone and you don't do anything with it. Like I've tried to make an effort to go through all the photos, make albums and, but that is so time consuming. And why is it time consuming? Because I took 20,000 photos. (laughs) So if you're going to go through it and you never do because you can't and it's too much. And I think, you know, the other thing that I, that I learned is sort of how, you know, they serve up memories, like, remember this day a year ago and it can be great. I mean, like, I love it. And of course I'm like, I, I pulled in, but they will often sort of curate your photos for you. So if you take 15 photos of your like, you know, kid who's like just learning how to sit, like being all wobbly, they will kind of undersell, I guess the one where they're kind of moving around, but those can be kind of amazing. Like I have a, a series of photos of Charlotte, who's now two, like learning how to sit. And she sort of was like, falling over as she was sitting. And the one that they served up to me was her like sitting perfectly. But there were another 10 where she was like falling over. And those were like adorable and also much more real to me at that moment. So there is this question of like, if you outsource the curation to an algorithm, what do you get at the end of that? 
Oh, it's interesting. Okay. A little bit about virtual villages. And I'm curious what your thoughts were because we went through the pandemic. So we literally weren't able to have, you know, in-person communities or support systems anymore. But what are your thoughts then on virtual villages for moms, especially? They can be an incredible lifeline. And I mean, I'm like, I'm in the thick of it again. So I'm like nursing in the middle of the night and it's like three in the morning and it's dark and there's nobody there. But if you have your phone, like there's, you're kind of like, oh wait, I'm not alone. There are, you know, 30,000 other, however many people are part of your parenting community online that are like also going through all of these things. That's an incredibly comforting thing to, to feel. Like I think that there are parts of parenting that can be very, very isolating. And so I think having a, 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 you know, access to hundreds of thousands of people or however many can be really great. I think where you start to run into issues is where you start turning to these communities for specific types of advice that they may not be able to give you, or they may give you way too much of it. And so then again, you're kind of in this moment of filtering through 50 comments about you know, my kid is not sleeping through the night. What should I do? It's super comforting to have a million other moms be like, oh my God, yes. Like he didn't sleep through the night until this age either. Don't worry about it. That's great. For me, what I found is I, my friend was like, pick a rabbi, just pick one person and make that your person that you're going to for most of your information, particularly medical information, which is, is kind of something that a lot of moms, I think, want to find on on some of these sites. And so I just picked my pediatrician. So I would call him and I sort of just, you know, did what he told me to do. As I write about, I found Reddit is, you know, a community that I was not particularly familiar with and and it felt very you know, techie and like Game of Thrones and like, you know, like, you know, guys who were eating Soylent and playing games. And like, I didn't, I didn't know what this community really was, but as part of my research, I started delving in and I was surprised, like pleasantly surprised to find that the parenting communities on these, though I didn't know anybody on them at all, were very supportive and kind of very loving and it's quite anonymous. And there's something freeing about that for people who could, they, they really can sort of you know, there's, there are problems with Reddit. I'm not saying that there aren't, but like for the parent communities that I was looking at, there's something freeing about being so anonymous and like not having your photo and things. And the communities were very supportive and people felt very open to share kind of anything that was taboo, which can be really lovely. I think most people will agree, you know, like online communities cannot give you the same thing as your best friend having a bottle of wine with you and giving you a hug and being like, yeah, this is hard, but there are ways to use them in a way that are, that is really great. I think where you run into problems is where you rely on them too much. You know, it it can provoke anxiety for sure. Yeah. And then relying on them so much so that you don't then cultivate connection with someone in real life. A hundred percent. I didn't really find my mom community until Ella went to preschool. That was sort of where, but there were like two and a half years there where I was at the playground and like everyone was on their phones and like pushing their kids. And maybe it's because I'm in Manhattan. Maybe, I don't know what it is, but there wasn't a real neighborhood community. And it took me a while to find those moms and, and those dads. And I'm so glad that I have them now. But in that interim, you know, it's easy to feel like this band-aid of a social media village is a real one. And it, it isn't, you know, it's the same as, as, as a group of people that can really like 
give you a hug, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I liked having really close friends that I could text like in the moment when something, you know, Milo's having a meltdown, I'm at home by myself. It was nice to always have like an outlet, like someone that I could contact that I know personally, you know, that I trust. And yeah, that was really helpful when Milo was a newborn, I would say. I wanted to talk a little bit about ebooks versus print books. And I know this is about kids, but I just got a Kindle. <laughs> and I'm, I'm obsessed with the Kindle, but I will say that only for fiction books. I just recently started reading fiction books because when it's a nonfiction book, I want the hard copy because I want to have it in my office and I want to be able to go back to it and like scribble notes on it. And, you know, but when it comes to kids, what have you found when it comes to eBooks, which I didn't even know eBooks were a thing for kids. They definitely are. They definitely are. I would say just you're totally fine with the Kindle, mostly because the Kindle is really just like a book on the screen. There's not like a cartoon running around. They're not singing at you and they're not having you, you know, click things. And also it's, you're reading it on a Kindle, I believe, like not on an iPad and you can read it on the iPad, but if you, part of the distraction that happens when you put something on a screen is taken away if it's just for one purpose where it's like, all I'm doing is reading this thing and there's not going to be like a little email that pops up and like a news alert and a weather thing and like, you're not going to be scattered. So for starters, like the Kindle is not what I wrote about. I, what okay. I wrote about were books for children that are translated or specifically made for a two, like for a screen medium. And so you think, like I said before, like more is better, or that's often something you can think. And, and that, you know, like little, little, you know, read to me like that feature where it's like the kid can be read to, or like words get highlighted or a bunny hops across the screen or whatever the case may be. You know, I went to a pediatrician who, who specializes in reading. And I said, you know, I asked him the question that you asked me at the beginning of this, which is like, is there one amazing piece of tech? Like, what's the one thing that's really great for kids? And he said, you know, if I went to the top minds in Silicon Valley and philosophers and developmental psychologists, and I went all over the world and I said, make me something that makes kids like smarter and calmer and more resilient and more gritty and more verbal and better citizens of the world. What would they come back with? They would come back with a print book. Like this, this gadget, which is not a gadget at all, is really like one of the best tools for your kid to have. And there's something that happens when you're talking to them and there's words that are incredibly important for them to learn. And what happens when you give them an ebook is both that they're distracted often because there's kind of extraneous things that are going on on the screen, whether that literally be like an alert that's coming in from some other app or the actual ebook itself that has little enhancements. And the thing to understand about reading is, yes, it's about reading and stories, but it's also about you sitting with your kid and sharing a moment. And so if your kid is on your lap and you're reading a book, it's often like the only unhurried time of my day. Like you can't speed read, you know, Good Night Moon. You just can't do it. <laughs> the kid is going to like not pay attention. Also, like they want to sit there and look at the, you know, mouse and look at the bowl of mush or whatever. So it's about 
when they're very young, before they are reading themselves and before they are realizing, like, actually that the words on the page are translating to words that you're saying, at that moment, you're just fostering a love of reading and you're fostering a love of being with you together and being cozy. And I think, and being slow and thoughtful and pointing things out. And so I think, you know, a lot of these eBooks, the read to me feature is sort of like a a ridiculous thing for young kids because you don't want them to be read by, by a screen. Like ideally, if you can swing it, you're there or somebody who loves them is there just reading to them. It's less about the relationship between the kid and the device as it is about like you and your child in that moment. Uninterrupted. You know, it has everything you need. It has tactile things. Like that's why board books are so appealing. It's like, you know, um, he's too little, but you know, in three months or four months, he'll be like sucking on it and biting it and like moving things around. And it's like, there's a tactile thing that goes into it, but it's sort of being able to share a moment with your kid. You know, and there are reasons to put your kid in front of a screen. Like, as we talked about, absolutely there are. But the idea that you could sort of get the same benefit of reading a book by having a screen, you know, technology read the book to your child is not true. Even if you don't read well, you know, like I spoke to a pediatrician who said there are, there are a lot of, he deals with a lot of an immigrant population and the parents are often nervous that they can't read the way that they should be reading And he was like, it doesn't matter if you get every word right. What matters is that the kid knows that there's a story and that it's warm and cozy and nice and that books are important and enjoyable. Like, that's the point, you know, accuracy. Until your kid gets to an age where then they will correct you. (laughs) Because that's what Milo does. I try and read him his dinosaur book and I can't pronounce half the dinosaurs. And he's like, mom, it's Diplodocus. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, excuse me. Oh God. Okay, quickly before I get you to tell us where people can find the book and find you online, I wanted to ask you about interactive apps. And what your thoughts are on those. Because we just downloaded one for Milo. And it was super cute. Just so basic. And it's like, it shows like a nature scene. Like very basic nature scene. And there's little bugs going around. And it starts to rain. And he can just kind of move things around and see the fish swim. What um, are your thoughts on that? Yes, there are beautiful apps out there. And they're incredibly thoughtfully made apps out there. I think... Things that I kind of took away from from my research, one of them, like to be completely fair, the research on iPads and stuff, it's not, there hasn't been enough time that they've been out in the world for us to really come to real solid conclusions the way that you need with these like longitudinal studies that take a decade or more to do. So like there isn't like a hard and fast thing where it's like kids learn from screens this way, they don't read from screens this way. I did speak to people who said that it's very hard for children to translate what's going on on a screen, on a 2D screen into the 3D world. And one example that stuck with me was actually Ella's preschool teacher. And I was you know, chatting with her about that. I was writing this book and she said, oh, you know, one of our, our two or three-year-olds came in and he, she had a lot of difficulty sorting shapes, which is like a developmental thing that kids do, put the circles over here, put the red things over here. Like she couldn't do it. And she said, I spoke to her parents and the dad said, that's crazy. We do this shape sorting app every morning and she gets it all right. And there's something that is hard for a developmental uh, developing brain to both do the thing 
and then realize that what you're doing on the screen can actually translate into the real world. So that's one thing in terms of, you know, what kids like loosely under the age of five are really getting. The other thing is I felt when I, when I came into the chapter and started writing about it, I had thought television was sort of a passive activity. Like the kids sitting there, they're watching something. That in my mind, I was like, that's probably worse for them than having something interactive where they're like doing things and learning and moving things around. And what I learned for, for young kids is that similarly to what we were talking about with the book, Kids learn so much when you are participating in the activity with them, when you're talking about what's going on on the screen. You know, you can translate what's going on on the screen into the real world. You can say like, you know, Elsa's make turning everything into ice. Like there's ice in the freezer. Like you can talk about things. Certainly not, you know, all the time the kid would go crazy if you were constantly interrupting them. But the point is, if you can participate in what their kid is doing in some capacity, even if it's just like you put it on in the, in the living room and you're like, oh, the kid's watching this thing. Like maybe at dinner, I'll talk to them about something that is to do with that or the song that was saying. It's very hard to do that with a smaller device. It's like kids kind of like get their elbows out and they're like, you know what? This is mine. The relationship is between me and this device. And like, I don't want you in it, mommy. And like, I'm not, I'm not going to participate. So you know, that's one big takeaway is if there's a way for you to watch what they're watching a little bit when you can and sort of talk about it later, that's kind of where the magic happens in terms of a kid's development. You can do that on an iPad. You can do that on a, on a phone, but it's hard. The other thing I would say is what you were saying, it's like what the, the app, I don't know what it is, but it's like slow and there's like rain and there's not like a lot of craziness going on and beeping and yelling and crazy music that makes you want to lose your mind. That's super important. It's the kids need slower paced things like Mr. Rogers, which I don't know if you've watched in, you know, however many decades, it always gets the stamp of approval from developmental psychologists because they're like, you know, he moves really slowly. He talks really slowly. If you start watching Mr. Rogers these days, you're like, oh my God, you're like, speed it up, man. Like you're going <laughs> 0.5 speed, like just put your cardigan on a little faster. Yeah. But it's really, really good for kids to have slow things because the quicker cuts, the more little things that are zipping in and out of the screen for them, the more jangled they get. And so that's another kind of concrete takeaway when you're trying to evaluate what you're putting in front of your kid. If the apps are like sweet and smart or sweet and slow and don't make you crazy, likely they won't make your kid crazy. But, you know, know that real enrichment like likely is not really happening at a very young age. But as long as they're getting a diet of other stuff and they're playing outside and you're reading to them and they're bored a little bit, like it's completely fine to put them in front of, a, of an app every once in a while, for sure. I really liked when Milo started watching Blippy because I was like, it's real life. And it's just him like going to museums and showing the kids like around the museum. Oh my God. He's on YouTube. It's he's huge. Like Blippy is huge. And so I loved when Milo started watching him because I had an episode a while back with a neuroscientist all about screens, like, and kids. And that was one thing that she said was like, the things that are so fast and not real life are what really overstimulates kids. Because when you look at like Paw Patrol versus Blippi, 
it's like Paw Patrol is like, did it, did it, did it, like going down the tube and like saving the day. And Blippi is just like, okay, let's go to this museum. And it's, it's a real life person. So it's interesting. You can also like specifically with Paw Patrol and that kind of stuff. If you the other way that I've learned to evaluate things is literally like how many cuts are there in a given minute. And if you look at something like a lot of these modern cartoons, there are a million cuts. And so it's like your, your brain is like has to re-figure out where it is every single time. It's called the orienting response. And so your brain like reorients and is like, okay, we're paying attention to that. Now we're paying attention to that. With Mr. Rogers, there's one camera and it's like walking and there, there are no cuts really. I mean, they're very, they're very few. And so that's, you know, another concrete way to take a look at what's going on for your kids. Oh boy. Okay. Well, this is a great conversation. I'm so happy that we covered all these topics, but Tell everybody where they can find your book and where they can find you online. My, I have a website, which is just my name.com. So it's Sophie, S-O-P-H-I-E, Brickman, B-R-I-C-K-M-A-N.com. And there are links to, to buying the book from there. Um, you can go to my publisher, which is HarperCollins, and find it there. It should be available. Try to go to your independent books, bookstore if you want to buy this. That would be good and help them out. That's where you can find it. Do you have anything, any ideas for future stuff? I know you have like a 10-week-old, but... <laughs> I have a 10-week-old, but I actually do have another idea that's in the works that was sort of spurred on by the pandemic. We ended up li- moving in with my parents, and so all of us were under the same roof, like my two young daughters and my parents and my, my husband, and we were together for six or so months, and we thought we were going to be together for like two weeks. And then, you know, stuff happened, and... It was, you know, I, w- I would say almost every parent would would agree that the pandemic sort of like blew open this notion that the nuclear family was, you know, enough and enough support. You know, if you're, you know, have young kids and if you are working or whatever the case may be, like there's just very little support. And so I started thinking about writing about like alternatives to the nuclear family, like including multi-generational living, but there are a lot of really interesting, very modern, like often very tech forward organizations that are helping people come together in various communities, within buildings, within neighborhoods, and sort of forging the support network. You know, I thought I would dip in and it would be all hippy dippy communes and patchouli and that, and that's not at all what it is. You know, people are really trying to solve this problem of, you know, how do we give parents support? And so sort of tangentially related to, to, to this idea of, of, you know, parenting in the modern world. Like going back to having a village raise a child. Yeah. How do you make your village in a way that feels natural and that is really helpful? Cause I think we all need them and it's, it's hard to find. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. I will keep you posted when the episode comes out. And also I'm going to put your website and the link for the book in the episode notes if people want to find that quickly. Great. This was an absolute pleasure. Really. Thank you so much. Are you looking for a podcast that'll make you laugh? You came to the wrong place. That's not us. That's not us. Well, it is. We are a husband and wife who chat about raw, real relationship topics. Yeah, like sex. Like money. Like marriage and kids. But we're not afraid to talk about how your newborn baby probably isn't as cute as you think it is. If you're in need of entertainment while you're driving to work, because that sucks, we can join you in the suckage, kind of like being in your ear. Not physically. So if you want to laugh, come check us out. Come check us out. Brought to you by the Laughing Couple Podcast. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.